How many of you people are glad that God is a man of his word? I am. If this was just a positive book, it's positive. But if it was just a self-help book and there, there was no eternal value, I wouldn't be in this pulpit today. I would not even be in this church. The Apostle Paul said, if, if in this life only we have hope, I'm kind of paraphrasing it so you'll understand. He said, we are of all men most miserable because we're doing a lot of things that don't amount to anything. But I don't believe that. I believe what God said, God said it, and I believe what we think that God meant it. I don't think he suggested things. He's a God of commandments. So before we begin, can everybody hear and see me right now? That's important today. Not the seeing part, but if you're looking at me, you're not looking at your neighbor or your phone. Thursday morning before I went to prayer, I was led by the Holy Spirit to the 13th chapter of Matthew. And I've, I've read the parable of the sower. I don't know how many times I've heard messages. I've preached. You have too. And the Lord revealed something to me that I couldn't write it down quick enough. And so... Out of this, what God revealed to me was a just a huge message. This is not the message, by the way. But he gave to me a prayer for us. You'll understand why here in just a minute. Gave to me a prayer that starting today, unless... I don't know unless I'm just open too much one Sunday morning and that squirrel is causing me to forget. I'm going to pray this prayer before I preach every, every single time. In fact, when I read in the morning and do my devotion and I'm in the Word, I'm going to pray this prayer before I do it. Let me, let me lead you down the path real quick so I have to explain it today so you'll understand. But after this week, we will begin to start every message, every time, by praying this prayer. So, verse 19 starts like this, Jesus speaking. He says, and this is why we're allotting extra time today, so this can be done. Uh, I didn't realize this when this was happening, but God made it very clear to me. When anyone, are y'all listening and watching? Because we're going to put it on the screen, I believe. Matthew chapter 19. And we may be having issues again, so just listen real good, all right? When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, there you go right there. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then, everybody say then, then, that's the moment, that's the time, that's when the action starts. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and they don't understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. 
This is he who received the seed by the wayside. I call this the unfocused church attendance. The whole problem was that they didn't understand it. It didn't say they didn't want to or that they didn't agree with it. They just didn't understand it. I've had so many moments like that in my life. I can't explain it. So I cause this to happen a lot on my own too. I'm not focused. I'm thinking about lunch. I'm thinking about going somewhere. I'm thinking about what I'm going to do this afternoon or what I got to do this week. And so the prayer for this part of this scripture is, Father God, help me not only hear your word today, but to fully understand what you are saying to me. That's the unfocused church attendance. All right, but verse 20 goes on to say this. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises, because of the word, Immediately, he stumbles. I call this the former church attendance. Usually, it's a universal truth that most people don't attend. Usually, there are some very well, well, biblically well reasons why some people don't. And I, I have one of my own. But usually people leave church, go to another church, or get out of church or whatever because of the word that when tribulation or persecution, because of the word, well, maybe it didn't gel with my way of living or uh, it just hit too close to home with something I'm not willing to part with. Tribulation or persecution not from other people always, but within my own spirit. And so I don't like it, so I just leave. That's the former church attendance. So the prayer is, I pray that I joyfully receive your word, refusing to allow any form of tribulation or persecution to cause it not to take root. That means I don't care what happens. The Word of God is still going to do what it was meant to do in my life. Amen? All right, but verse 22 says, Now he who received the seed among the thorns is he who hears the Word, and the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the Word, and he becomes unfruitful. I'm sorry, but I think this is the current church attendance. Because when I walk into this sanctuary, and I'll speak about this, but again, this is a universal truth. When I walk into this sanctuary, 
if I don't prepare, everybody say that word, prepare. If I do not prepare my heart, if I don't enter his gates with thanksgiving, if I don't come into his courts with praise, if I'm putting, uh, fussing and fighting, see I'm putting too many of the words together. If I'm fussing and fighting and arguing, when I get out of the car or before I leave the house and I walk into the house or my mind is all over this week or last week, do you know what that is? That's thorns that's coming in to, as soon as you hear the word of God, be it in song or in sermon, it's there and it's going to choke it out and you're going to walk out of these doors and you're not going to be a bit, bit better off. You're not going to remember what was said, what was preached, what was taught, what was worshipped. You're not going to remember it because the deceitfulness of all that told you it don't matter. You can take it to church. It can be on your mind and you can come in the house upset and irritated. But just watch out. It's the enemy doing his thing. So I believe this speaks large and in part to a majority. I didn't say everybody, did I? I said to a majority of people sitting in churches everywhere today. But there's a prayer that God revealed. I pray, oh, my Father, that no one or nothing will be successful in tempting or distracting me from bearing fruit. Did you hear that? Nothing. Nobody. Not family member, not enemy, not the world, not the government. Nobody will be successful in tempting me to be distracted or to distract me from bearing fruit. Because it said that the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and I become unfruitful. That way, when I walk in the church or when I do walk in the church, I'm just unfruitful from now on because all the good got choked out. But I've been trying to get to verse 23 because this is what you need to hone in on. But he who received the seed on the good ground is he, this is Jesus Christ saying this, by the way, is he who hears the word and hears the word again, understands it. Who indeed bears fruit and produces a hundredfold some 60, some 30. I call this next week's church attendance because I'm going to live out this coming week a whole lot different than last week. I'm going to pray a prayer before I read my devotion every morning because I realize, according to Jesus, what all could take place and what usually takes place, even when I don't want to admit it. So that's me and you when we come in here next week, starting today. You want to hear that part of the prayer? Father God, I pray that as I receive your word, it is so clear to me that I leave your house today producing what your word declares 
I should be producing in the name of Jesus. Amen. Because Jesus said this. He said that when you are the good ground kind of person and you hear it and you understand it, oh, indeed, you bear fruit even at the rate of 160 and 30. So we know that's what God's looking for on the fig tree of me and you. And we know that's what can grow. And we know that's what can be produced. And we know that's what we can bear. All because God said we could. Amen. So stand to your feet this morning and together. Stand to your feet this morning. Not saying this like a creed, but praying this as a prayer together. Father God, help me not only hear your word today, but to fully understand what you are saying to me. I pray that I joyfully receive your word, refusing to allow any form or tribulation or persecution to cause it not to take root. I pray, O oh Father, that no one or nothing will be successful in tempting or distracting me from bearing fruit. Father God, I pray that as I receive your word, it is so clear to me that I leave your house today producing what your word declares I should be producing. In the name of Jesus, I pray this. Hallelujah. Amen. Give him a great big hand. Glory to your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And you may be seated. So we prayed that prayer. And Derek's going to make it available on this service today. So you can go back. And it's either going to be in the notes if the technology's cooperating. Or if you have to go back next week and or, or this week and you just have to watch it but you and I together we're going to get to the part where we memorize that and we say that and pray that from our heart amen so I'm not there but we're going there together praise his name my job as I've said many times before is the pastor is a shepherd, watchman. I just said that to you, I know. But I'm also called to do a very, very, very important job, and that is to prepare people to go home, to prepare you to be ready. When I was growing up, I heard a term used my whole life, even in Bible college, I've heard many sermons talking about being rapture ready. Now, let me just go ahead and set the record straight. So many people confuse what they call salvation as being rapture ready. I will tell you, you have to be saved according to the Bible. That version, this version of salvation, meaning 
You've got to be remorseful for your sins. You just can't say a sinner's prayer and not mean it or understand it, and then you go right back to what you were doing like you were playing Monopoly and you collected $200 when you pass go. It doesn't work that way. You've got to be so sorry for violating the law of God and being a sinner, being under the wrath of God. You've got to be remorseful about it. If it doesn't bring you to tears, it brings you to a broken heart and you understand that you have hurt and frustrated the grace of Almighty God. And so when you do that, you are now given access to forgiveness, but an immediate relationship with Jesus Christ and also access to go to heaven. However, after that step is taken, you can't omit that step, by the way. If you do it all but that, too bad, too bad, too bad. Don't care what any preacher, any theologian, any seminary, any ministry, any book. This book has stressed it so many times, I can't even say it today. You must be born again, Nicodemus, which was a religious guy, by the way. After you are there and you've done that, you are on a journey. And most people kind of get lost from the moment they really truly repent if they're not careful, if they're not constantly being discipled or discipling themselves in the Word of God. You can't do it apart from the Word of God. A lot of people kind of get lost right there because the Bible paints such a picture using a lot of Jewish customs to even help paint the picture of what this new person of salvation should be and will be doing if indeed they're on their way home. The Bible makes it clear. So my job, as I said, is to, after explaining about salvation, is to spend a lot of time, and I believe even more time now because I see the day approaching, that we need to be spending a lot of time, last-minute details, getting our house in order to go home because we are about to be married to Jesus face-to-face, and we are going to sit and enjoy, for starters, seven years of a reception with him. Now, the Apostle Paul, I want to say this too, that I've used many times before. By the way, I shared a little bit of this. The four of us have devotions, uh, staff devotions, every Tuesday at 8.30 in that conference room. And God laid this on my heart just to share these passages with uh, Reggie, Nikki, and Tripp and myself uh, Tuesday morning. And way before Tuesday, it's just been so heavy on my heart and it is just like it was then like it was Tuesday it is now because I told them part of that of all the things Jesus could have done and this is nothing new to you of all the things that he could have done right before he was crucified I want to just see if you've been paying attention over the past month 
What did Jesus go and do? Did somebody say pray? He said, you said pray. He didn't go walk on water. He didn't go feed five more thousand. He didn't go raise dead people. He didn't sit on another mount and teach more. But he went and prayed. He went and had a one-on-one conversation with the Father. The Apostle Paul starts out a very, very famous chapter when it talks about the, the rapture of the church in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. He talks about the rapture of the church beginning with verse 13, but he's really talking about it in verse 1. But I want to go straight to the rapture portion first in verse 13 because this is kind of the explanation of that seven-year, what leads up to that seven-year celebration slash reception. But I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For that word keeps coming up today. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven to the clouds with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the, say that word, air. Air. That is not what a lot of people refer to as the second coming of Christ. Let me say, Jesus came to earth 2,000 years ago as a babe in a manger. You know, he lived on this earth for 33 years. The last three years, he had a public ministry that did all the things you read about in the four Gospels. And then he ascended back to heaven. That's when he came to the earth the first time. In between the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus, there will be the rapture of the church. When Jesus, because he doesn't come to earth during the rapture. You just read it with me. Where do we meet? In the air, in the clouds. He'll step out of heaven onto the clouds. Trumpet will sound. And then the dead in Christ, the graveyards that are, have temporary people in there, will be caught up first, and then we together with them will meet him in the air. That's the rapture. And then at the end of the seven years, then we will return. All of us will return with the Lord for his second coming to rule and reign for a thousand years. So that's the rapture of the church that Paul explains, but just like Jesus chose to pray before he, out of all the things he could have done, he chose to pray. I want you to look at with me at what Paul, through the Holy Spirit, 
talked about, he could have talked about anything before the rapture. He could have thought about starting more churches, giving more to missions, feeding more people. He could have talked about all of this, but you know what he talked about. If you don't, I want you to look at what he talked about prior to talking about the rapture. He talked about, first of all, in verse 1, he talked about my reputation and who it is that's actually going to approve me or who I want to win their approval. This is what he said in the words of the Lord. Finally, then, brethren, we urge you and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more. Say those words with me. More and more, just as you have received from us, how you ought, listen, folks, how I want you to understand like we've prayed so you can leave out of here on fire for God, bearing fruit, how you ought to walk and to please who? God, for you know what commandment we gave you through the Lord Jesus. So again, I'm going to drive it home as best as the Lord will anoint me today. Out of all the things I need to be focused on, God knew that it was vital and it was critical for his bride not to be worried about all kind of other details, but to focus on the wedding details that are soon to take place, and that is how you're living, how you're walking, and who you're pleasing, and that ought to be for God, to God. It's your reputation and your approval status. That's what he said you need to be worried about and you need to be focused on in these closing moments we call an earthly life. If it wasn't important, God would have used other things for Paul to stress that we ought to be doing. But no, he didn't. He threw it back to on his bride. What's his bride up to? What is his bride doing? What does his bride find delight in? And it's walking and pleasing God. That's what the real bride is really doing right now. But he went on to say, my bride's also concerned about their focus. I'm concerned about my focus and paying attention to details. This is the scripture to explain it. For this is the will of God. The will of God will never ever line up with the will of man or your friends or the people around you. Say amen to the word of God. This is the will of God, your sanctification. Again, I want you to understand today, sanctification for those of you that don't know, or maybe those of you that have been improperly taught by people that meant well. I want you to look at this bottle of water right here that I will probably partake in in a matter of minutes. Sanctification is this. This bottle of water, when I say, God, this bottle of water, 
I sanctify it to you. It will not be used, Lord, to water plants or pour in a dog or cat bowl. I won't use it to even quench my thirst. Lord, this bottle of water, I will only use it, Lord, in your house to pour on things that pertain to you or to pour on this altar that I'm going to use for a prop Sunday to show sacrifices that were given in the Old Testament. I'm not going to forget about it. But on a greater scale than this bottle of water, David and a mini priest back in the Old Testament, they would have everything from trumpets to cymbals to vases to ladles to instruments uh, of uh, processing animals when they would uh, sacrifice them to the Lord. But they just wouldn't go down to the hardware store and grab them and throw them in their shed and use them at their house and then it was time to worship or sacrifice at, at the tabernacle, go in the shed and grab them. No, uh-uh. They wouldn't do that. But they got those instruments. They would fabricate or buy them and make them, and then they would sanctify them, and they would say, this is only for the use of God. It's never to be used for anything else. I don't care if yours breaks at home. Sir, you can't run into the tabernacle and get that and use that for any other reason because it's sanctified, meaning simply it's been set apart. Say that with me, set apart. So that's what that word means. Does everybody understand the word sanctification now? Okay, because I'm not going to do a lot of preaching if there's not a lot of understanding going on at the same time. Do you understand? Thank you. Because it doesn't do any good because I'm still that shepherd I told you to. I don't want you to go out here and get choked out this week. I don't want the enemy to steal the word that will bring you up out of whatever you in. Do you understand that? So I'm not going to get here and just go through the motions again. I want you to know why we heard what we heard today. I want you to be able to benefit from a hundredfold this week. I'm tired of you living under the life and the name of a Christian, but you don't have any fruit. I don't mean that in a negative way. I'm tired of people not understanding the word. Therefore, they cannot produce the fruit that God said is yours to produce. So that's what God's ready for, for people to understand and be prepared. So you understand what he means when he says not only instruments and cymbals and cups and vases and implements to sacrifice, but you yourselves are to be sanctified and now set apart. I want to break that down a little bit more before I read. I told you the biblical form, but that means I'm not going to come in here and I'm not going to sing, I believe you said, I believe it is done. And then you go out here the next week and you see, tell me, Hank, why do you dream? Why do you, how do you know that song? Well, I used to work at a country music radio station a long time ago. I don't have my phone with me, but it's what you pull up on TikTok. It's what you put up on your DVR. I'm talking about sanctification, folks. 
I'm talking about set apart. See, you can't just be set apart during a church service for him, but then you use your same ears, your same mouth, your same arms to go out here and do it for the world. You're not set apart yet. Just like the implements I talked about in somebody's shed. You're either set apart for the temple, for the glory of God, or you're not set apart. Don't be confused and don't be fooled by that. Do you understand that? This is the will of God. Your sanctification. Now you understand that, right? God's will is your set apart. Remember, this is number two. My focus and what I pay attention to. This is the will of God. Your sanctification, that you should abstain, and here's a list, for starters only, from sexual immor- immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. I just gave you a demonstration about that. You don't use your body and your mouth and your time and your phone and your app for K-Love, and then for KML. By the way, this is what I read in that previous thing because of tribulation or persecution, former church attendance. People get mad when you just, I'm the mailman in the blue shorts that used to drive Jeeps before they cut them out. All I'm doing is putting it in your box. I explained this one time a long time ago. No more when you get a bill that's been wrongly charged to you and you open it up when you're walking away from your mailbox, do you go get them little shorts and say, you come back here, why is my bill so high? He or she, they just delivered the mail to you. They have no control over that whatsoever. All I'm doing Sunday and Wednesday, day in and day out, I'm just delivering you the mail. I have no control over the word of God. If you ever walk in this building and you get mad, don't confuse mad being mad with conviction. You can get mad at me if you choose to, but that too is between you and God because it's not my word, it's not my Bible. I've just been charged by God to make sure that I give it to you on the day and on the hour he says to give it to you the way he tells me to give it. I'm not responsible for how you receive it or how you process it. I am responsible to make sure I do all I can with the anointing and the knowledge God has given me that you understand it, but I am not responsible. So don't get mad at me If I talk about country music or if I talk about being liked by everybody on social media, if I'm corny or all the other things, all I'm doing is trying to get home to heaven and I want to please God during the process just like he told me that I will do. So we got to set the record straight in here. You abstain from this. And you should know because I preach to you how to possess your own vessel in sanctification and honor. Not in passion of lust, 
like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter because the Lord is the avenger of all such as we all. So forewarned you and testified. So it's not the first time he was saying, you've been told about this. He was talking to this church. You've been told about this over and over again. For God did not call us. You probably ought to read this with me. Uh, For God did not call us. Just say it with me. For God did not call us. Say it. To uncleanness. But in holiness. Say it again. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. For God did not call us, hallelujah, to uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore, and this is kind of what I told you about the whole mailman thing a while ago. He who rejects this does not reject man. Did you hear that? He who rejects this, you're not rejecting the mailman, but God, who has given us his Holy Spirit. The third thing he said, you ought to be doing before the rapture is paying attention to your love for one another. Meaning, meaning, folks, look at me. My love for you. Your love for one another. The scripture in verse 9 says, But brotherly love, but concerning brotherly love, you don't even have a need that I should write to you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed, you do so toward all the brethren who are all in Macedonia. But we urge you that you increase more and more. He was saying, you do it out of town, but you need to do it in town. Remember, we started off by saying of all the things that God could have impressed him to warn people about before the rapture. These are the things that he said. And the fourth thing He said, was my responsibility that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to M-Y-O-B, mind your own business. I can see right now that's an altar call in itself. Amen. Because we've got the National Inquirer headquarters. Oh, so close. We want to know. And to work. Oh, he's about wrecked with that altar call. And to work with your own hands. Take a lot of conviction all over the place. When this scripture is being read. As we commanded you, that you may walk properly. The reason is that you may walk properly 
toward those who are outside. And look at the benefit here. And that you may lack nothing. And let me encourage you to do something when you go home. I want you to go home and read. It's a real short chapter. I want you to go back and read the very next chapter. Thessalonians chapter 5. Because it's saying the same thing again, but in reverse order. Verses 1 through 3 talk about the rapture in the beginning. And then verses 4 through 23 talks about how we ought to be living. So the bottom line is this is super important to be zeroing in on before the trumpet sounds. So it matters how I live and who I am trying to please. It matters that I treat everything that pertains to my body and my life like I am drinking out of a glass, like God is drinking out of a glass or a vessel. That's how I need to be treating my body, not just my mind and my attitude, but my body. I need to be treated because I am a vessel, a vessel unto honor, the Bible says. So that's why sanctification See, when I was a little boy growing up and even into school again, people used to kind of narrow down sanctification to if women wore pants, they wasn't sanctified. If they didn't have long hair that had 150 or so bobby pins in it, uh, if they looked like a corpse at bowls without the makeup, or not, uh, and just on, uh, on and on and on, those kinds of things. And a lot of people were true saints. My mama was a saint of God. Uh, the rest of her life lined up with the way her physical appearance did. But there was a lot of people that did everything from cuss to drink to smoke and all that, but they looked like the holiest saints that ever walked the earth. And so people left them alone because they were sanctified looking. I know nobody in here knows what I'm talking about. My daddy does. Wanda does. A few others do. But that's the way it went. But you see, when you're sanctified, it won't just affect the outside of your body. It'll affect your speech. It'll affect how you love each other. It'll affect how you pray. It'll affect how you worship. It'll affect what you do when everybody's looking. And it'll affect what you do when nobody's looking. Because you understand, I'm sanctified and I'm set apart. I'm holy. I belong to God. I'm married to Jesus Christ. And that's what I'm focused on. That's what, it, that's what will matter to you. You won't be one of these people that want to see how close you can flirt with sin, and then you say, well, oh, grace, I'm covered by grace. It covers all that. You're going to grace your way to hell with all this new teaching people's come out with. Look, I, I, I think if you will focus on the holiness of God, you don't never have to try to go and bend and contort the grace of God and frustrate it. 
know a lot of people struggle with that, and that's why a lot of people just get mad. And the first thing they'll do is blame and point. But I'm telling you that everything in your life matters, what you do, how you live, and it's what Paul again told the church that they need to make sure right before he talked about the catching away of the saints. I want you to close your eyes, if you will. Father God, today we have preached your word, Lord. We prayed and asked you to help us to understand it. Lord, we don't want anybody to leave confused or upset because they didn't know. And then the enemy knows that they don't know. And so he has a field day with them this week. You're not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. So I pray that the word falls deep in people's hearts, Lord, and it's able to take such a deep root that they realize that real soon the trumpet's going to sound and it could happen before we get out of this building and we're going home. In the name of Jesus, I thank you, oh God.